Hello and welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast series. This series has been developed to assist you to master your health and well-being. Health is too hard when you try to go it alone, and we know that together we are healthier. Today on the show, we'll be discussing tips and tricks on how to grow a productive edible garden with Ben Shaw. Ten years ago, Ben set out transforming his house in Geelong, which boasted a north-facing backyard with shed, lawn and obligatory hills hoist, into an edible garden oasis. The project entailed both successes and failures, but fueled his thirst to learn more. He went on to complete a permaculture design course and fell in love with the process, spurring his desire to share his knowledge and passion with others. Ben now runs edible gardening workshops all year round for both adults and children. He consults locally with families and businesses on how to design and build their gardens to get maximum yields and also achieve aesthetically beautiful gardens. Ben Shaw, welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast. Thanks for having us, Simon. Firstly, Ben, tell us about your story and how you got into gardening and permaculture. Permaculture happened a bit later, but from a gardening point of view, I've I grew up in a big garden in the country, living with mum and dad, and the gardening was a big part of our lives growing up, and you know, we did have a vegetable garden, which I'd go out and help mum and dad in, and rake the leaves and mow the lawns, and so I had a pretty active uh, upbringing, being outside and being in the garden and climbing trees, and had an understanding of where our vegetables came from growing up. But then I moved to Melbourne, like a lot of kids from the country after finishing school and studied and essentially sort of lost that connection with food actually. And it wasn't until I moved to Geelong, which was in 2007, that we were lucky enough to buy a house and got to start playing with a with a backyard. And I just started trying to grow things and we got chickens and started to have a, a real go at trying to grow you know, a lot of our own food. And permaculture sort of came into the picture in 2010, uh, the first permaculture design course run back then. And the stars aligned where I, I could take off two whole weeks to, to do that. And that sort of changed changed the direction of, yeah, where, where my life has taken me in a really positive way. I've been involved in permaculture in various ways since then. So can you explain for the listeners what exactly permaculture is or the principles of permaculture? I do get asked this question a lot. My wife always reminds me that I can't articulate it very well. It is quite a, you know, a large thing to try and sum up into a short, you know, answer, I suppose. But the way I look at it, the, the key word for me in, with permaculture is design. So, you know, I did a permaculture design course. So essentially, for those that aren't familiar with permaculture, i the way I explain it, I sort of give some practical examples of how I've used permaculture and we could just take it from a micro level where you look at your own household. So you can design your house by putting solar panels on it and by putting tanks in and there's there's various things you can do to your house and your garden, how you design your garden, your orchard, your chickens, your composting systems and that's the other word system so as humans we we have all these different systems that we can put in place and if we do that well i think permaculture and if you can use the principles of permaculture if you design well the environment the people within it the animals everything is benefiting and not not the other way you can apply that to macro systems where 
I mean, you look at the current situation, you know, there's not as many planes flying at the moment and that's having a beneficial impact on our on our air quality, for example. So yeah. how do we design our systems, whether it's at that macro or micro level? I think permaculture has the principles and and the tools, I suppose, that you can apply that from a big picture perspective right down to your backyard and you know, a, a good composting system. But that's how I sort of explain it. So for most of us that have a standard size suburban backyard, is it still feasible to grow a lot of our own produce? I believe so, yeah. I mean, we don't look at veggie gardens as just a box in the corner of the backyard. If you use vertical growth, if you're not growing just one crop of everything, you're getting a constant crop rotating throughout the year, which is a hard thing to do, but Again, with good design and good soil and quite a bit of thought around it, you can actually grow a lot of food. Now, everyone's situation is different, obviously, but um, even in our smallish backyard um, in Geelong, you know, we've been able to put over 30 fruit trees in. We have our own chickens, so we get our own eggs. We can pick herbs throughout the year, literally, and vegetables as well so uh we're lucky in our climate and that we're able to to do that you know if you were living in canada it'd be quite a different scenario obviously so i think it 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 is possible yeah so how do you work out where is the best place to position a veggie patch on your block well there's various factors you've got to look into um one of the key ones is is your aspect and trying to have enough sunlight. Uh, you know, fruit trees, veggies, we they, they need sunlight. So the other thing is uh, there's many factors, but you, you've got to take into consideration wind. Um, you might be on a big slope. Um, you might have a giant tree, like a let's say a gum tree that's either on your neighbour's side or in your own backyard, which... If, you, if you're trying to grow things under, will be problematic. So I think it's about just identifying that, that area of your garden where you're going to give your plants the best chance to grow. So I found that spot. What's the easiest way to get a productive patch up and running? Yeah, so I think at the moment, I think there's a lot of people obviously at home and looking at their backyards or hopefully front yards as well, and they might have identified that spot and sort of really keen to get started. I think the factors that come into play, you know, the aesthetics of a garden as well. So first of all, you've got to think about how you're going to build your garden beds and what materials you're going to use. So in my garden, I've over the years basically been very resourceful and found lots of different things that you can use to make up your garden beds. So that, that's been railway sleepers, bricks, rocks from the Great Ocean Road that have fallen on the road while I've been driving along and I've I've, I thought, well, I better shift that, and, and it's gone into the boot and made a garden bed at home. All these <laughs> things, often you can you can be quite resourceful there. Now you can also go out and buy, you know, timber and get uh, beds made. But this all comes down back to how much you know money I suppose we've got to start that process. And you can even build garden beds out of you know straw bales and get started straight away. So once you've sort of chosen that area and you've built a garden bed because the idea is using all those materials holds holds your soil in so when it rains it doesn't it's less likely to sort of 
just go down the drain, topsoil, for example, um, you're sort of trying to hold it in to build up your soil structure. In terms of how you build your soil, from a long-term point of view, I'd, I'd just encourage people to look up no-dig gardening. It's essentially a method of layering uh, your garden. You use the analogy of you know making a lasagna. You're using a lot of organic inputs to gradually layer up your garden and what that does is it composts, nature does its thing, and you start building a much more healthy, resilient soil as opposed to, you know, ordering soil in or buying it in a bag. Um, you're never going to get the the same quality of soil as you what you can do building your soil at home, um, and that's through composting. There's various ways of building your soil up, no-dig gardening, worms, uh, liquid manures, all sorts of fun things that you can, uh, you know, seaweed, coffee grounds. And again, it comes back to being resourceful, which is, you know, one of the principles of permaculture is using what's around you and and uh, making it work for you. So can you explain to us about seasonality and how this impacts what we're growing? Yeah, well, that's a very topical at the moment, obviously, because, you know, I heard diggers, you can't even buy any seeds at the moment. Obviously, everyone's gone out and secured seeds. Seasonality is understanding, we'll just take vegetables, for example. There's times of the year where uh, different vegetables will grow. So we've just come out of summer. And if you had a planted, you know, late spring, early summer, you would have been putting in tomatoes, cucumbers, corn, pumpkins, these sort of vegetables. So the season for that was, you know, you're picking through summer and even into autumn, whereas now we're coming into winter. When we're buying seeds or seedlings, we need to understand that we're coming into, we're in autumn, but we're planting uh, for winter. So what what seeds are in your area, wherever you are, are going to have the best chance when you put them in. So obviously our climate if you're living in Geelong, is very different to Townsville. And that applies also to, you know, growing fruit as well. So understanding your climate and is really important when deciding what to put in the ground. So where's the best place to find out more on what to plant and when? Well, I think uh, the, Diggers, the Diggers Club is a really valuable resource for that. That would be a good starting point where people can go to. Otherwise, getting involved in it, some of your local you know, they're in Geelong, Geelong Organic Gardeners Club and they have meetings and resources online. Um, often that's a, if you can find something locally, you can sort of tap into people that have been growing food for quite a while um, and learn from them and, went and you know, speak to people uh, locally. It might be the local community garden. That's always a good resource as well. So for the people who have gone out or are thinking of going out and buying seeds or seedlings, which is better, seeds or seedlings? And can you also tell us what your recommendations are for the easiest one to grow for beginners? For beginners, yeah. So again, seeds versus seedlings, it depends on where you are. So if if you're further south and right down the bottom of Tasmania, it might be tricky to put in seedlings at the moment and you'd be possibly looking at putting in more seedlings 
that are a bit larger and they can get up and running. So again, depends on your climate and it depends on the which plant you're putting in. So to a, a good easy one that ever, everyone can have a go at to start, I would say would be something like broad beans. Uh, they're a fantastic crop to begin with. They're quite resilient. Pests don't seem to love broad beans as much as they do cauliflowers, for example. So that, that'd be a good one to start with. Radish is a really good quick turnaround vegetable or rocket is fantastic. Maybe have a go at those if you're, if you're new to gardening. Punnets with seedlings often give a guide of how close to plant them together. Is it important to follow this guide? Yeah, it's really important to follow that guide because each plant, again, needs different space spaces or um, spacing for it to really show its full potential. So a cauliflower, for example, will grow much larger than a radish. So your spacing is important. The other thing I'd sort of throw in there is not to look at a garden bed as just, okay, I'm going to put in 20 cabbages or, you know, a monoculture of just the one vegetable. Good vegetable gardens are a little bit more chaotic and it's good to have some herbs in your in your vegetable gardens, flowers like calendula or lavenders, they're all working together. So if you can find out firstly what you enjoy eating and then maybe just be a bit a bit uh, creative by putting a few different vegetables together, which is gets tricky with spacing, but you know these plants will find a way. But it is important to um, look at the spacing for sure. And what about mulching after planting? Is it is it important to mulch? And if so, how much? And what's the best mulch to use? Mulching is important, but it's again depends on where you are and seasonality. So in summer. Obviously, our weather is a lot warmer. You don't want your soil drying out. So often once you've planted, it's good to put your mulch, you know, around your basil and your tomatoes, for example. Whereas at this time of year for where we are in Victoria, Geelong, um, you've got to be a little bit careful with mulch because you can attract more more bugs that are potentially going to eat your seedlings if you have too much mulch. And I, I tend to think over winter, you sort of want that, you know, the rain soaking into your soils so you could do a light mulch at this time of year but again if you're if you're in uh, northern new south wales it might be a different different scenario but generally speaking i really love using mulch throughout the year in our garden you've just got to be observe what season you're in and how much you use i find pea straw is a great mulch what about watering and and feeding the plants uh at at this time of year uh what would you suggest well again it's about being you know observing how much rainfall we've had we've had incredible rains quite unusual rains in the early part of this year where we are if you've got a watering system you might have turned that off even and not had to use it as much but generally speaking I think it's if you're going to have a watering system, it's better to have a drip system. Um, it's much more efficient and a better way to water your plants. Having said that, you know, I've got kids and they love holding the hose and just watering their plants <laughs> willy-nilly. So don't get too hung up, up on it. But watering at night is something I tend to not do. So if I'm watering, it's first thing in the morning. Feeding the plants with with um, something other than than watering, like a seaweed solution or, or, or something like that. Do you do you have any favourites or suggestions? How much? How often? Yeah, I've used seaweed. It's often what I can sort of get my hands on. Um, you can you can do some fantastic things with even plants in your garden. So comfrey is a brilliant 
plant for doing that. Stinging nettles. A lot of people see stinging nettles as a as the worst weed, and it can sting you, obviously, but it's a fantastic plant in your garden. And again, you can use it um, in your compost. Fantastic as a deterrent to potential pests in your garden. So I let it sort of grow up next to my broccoli and just don't let it go to seed. And I'll chop it down and sometimes just leave it in the bed or that can make up a really good uh, fertiliser as well. Yeah, comfrey or stingy nettle is, is a good way to start in the garden. But yeah, seaweed is brilliant. Seaweed's fantastic also if you can just put it onto your garden beds as well. So now let's talk about pests. They often seem to get into the garden. What are the most common ones and and how do we prevent them from ruining the crop? Well, this is a question I get asked endlessly, actually. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, whether it's, well, there's there's plenty of pests and that, especially when you're creating a garden, your garden's easy pickings for a lot of pests when when you're new to gardening. So don't be despondent if you do lose some stuff in those when you're first starting out. The approach I take is you need to plant in your garden plants that are going to actually attract predatory insects. So in nature, if you can get a diverse garden that is brimming with all sorts of things, whether it's herbs, perennials, fruit trees, etc., etc., you're more likely to bring in predatory insects that can take care of all those problematic bugs that are doing all the damage. So, for example, you can you can put certain plants in that will attract ladybirds, for example, and ladybirds absolutely devour aphids. It's not so much about worrying about which pest is in your garden. It's more about how do I design the garden to get all these beneficial insects in, into your garden, which will balance things out. Yeah, it's looking at your garden for as a whole I mean, a real microclimate and what you can create to create a really healthy, healthy environment. So do a little bit of research. Where are some places you'd recommend that listeners can find out more about this topic and, and start doing a bit of research before they get into the garden? Yeah, so again, I mentioned the Diggers Club before is a good start. Um, if you're wanting to understand a little bit about permaculture, definitely look up milkwood permaculture and also good life permaculture. Some fantastic uh, resources that those guys have. That's probably a good good starting point to dip your toe in the water. For a typical backyard veggie patch, what is an average amount of time we need to, to spend in it per week to get the most out of it? Again, <laughs> question I get asked, I think at least a half an hour a day is, is a good amount to be spending. And then obviously if you've got weekends or a bit more time, you can, you know, spend half a day in the garden on a Saturday or a Sunday um, working on it. Because, you know, a garden's not just about getting production out of there, getting yields. It's, it's so much more that you get from gardens from a health point, point of view. I'd spend probably an hour in my garden every day. And on weekends, I might spend a whole day pottering about and hopefully doing all the good jobs uh, which includes picking and improving my compost and cleaning out the chook pen. Like a lot of people lose motivation in the garden because they're doing what I call the, I won't swear, Simon, but the crap jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you're getting cooch and kaikuya out of your vegetable beds that are just running up. That's a job that if I'm in the garden, I don't want to be doing. I'd rather be planting things. I'd rather be doing, you know, mulching stuff and doing the, the fun jobs. Mm. Um, 
So again, that comes back to good design. If you design your your garden well, you won't be weeding in amongst the paths and and uh, looking after, you know, trying to wage a war against Kaikuya. You'll be you'll be building up your beds. You'll be planting things. You'll be picking. You know, you'll be having a much better time. So good design is really critical in gardens, just like it is in a, you know, in a house. Ben Shaw, thank you very much for joining us on the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast. Oh, it's been fun. Thanks for having us on. It's a new dawn in health insurance because GMHBA are partnering with AIA Vitality to encourage us to be healthier by rewarding healthy choices. Join GMHBA V Plus with AIA Vitality to earn real rewards for health checks, exercising, even eating well. Changing how you think about health insurance for life. GMHBA and AIA Vitality. Healthier together.